Hi, I'm Anjali. And I'm Martha. And welcome to Public Health on Duty, where we talk to some of the most inspiring young minds in the Philippine public health system. Join us as we talk to our guests about their stories, learn about their career journey, and chat about their wins and everyday challenges. So our guest for today, Martha, is a researcher at the Philippine Institute for Development Studies with a bucket load of experience in health research, Mr. Valerie Ulip. Welcome to Public Health on Duty, Val. Hi, Anjali. Hi, Martha. So good evening to both of you and to our listeners. So, so my pronoun is he, him. Um, currently, I'm the Senior Research Fellow at BIDS. Um, so basically, I'm the Project Director for um, the Health economics um, research portfolio of the institute. So PIDS is basically a research or a think tank of the government, which is basically, or it's an attached agency of the National Economic Development Authority or NEDA. So we do lots of research on different areas um, or sector in the government. Yeah, so um, can you tell us um, what you took up in your undergrad, Val? So basically, I started um, I, I started as 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 public health, right? Then I I, I went into to epidemiology. Um, I took epidemiology or public health because um, I remember my my aunt was working for WHO, and oh. I was really fascinated about about her work in Africa, etc. So I was very curious about it. To be honest, it was a fallback because I was expected to. To go to medical school, but uh-huh. I, 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 I didn't <laughs> the classic see myself. Story. I didn't see myself working in a hospital, etc. So I, I was trying to look for for uh, an area where I could, you know, venture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but while in in, in public health, um, there was this. Uh, a job opportunity at the UP School of Economics, so right. um, I applied um, and I was got I got accepted. Right, so I was part of this um, health policy program of the UP School of Economics. So I was one of the first. Um, I was in the first batch of 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 young professionals um, uh, being trained to be <laughs> in policy policy research. So that's that that. So I think, or the start of my career as 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 a health economist started in UP School of Economics. Right. Yeah. Wow. So a pioneer health policy oh researcher, being trained <laughs> to be the next leaders of the health. No, I think that was the <laughs> that was the uh, the goal of the program. No, but you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I would say yes. So, but after moving to PEDS, so I did lots of health financing, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I really. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I've learned not only the methods uh, related to health financing, but also the substantive um, um, knowledge about health financing. Um, I, I started to, to expose myself. Um, and uh, when I applied for a PhD, that was my, my, my entry point. Like health financing was my entry point. And mm-hmm. when, when you want to study health financing, you need to learn the basics of economics. So my PhD was, you know, on, 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 on health economics, economics right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from my understanding, your work has brought you abroad, right? What was it like working abroad? During the last phase of my PhD, uh, I, I applied for a job um, under the University of Toronto Center for Global Development. So working for that institute was very 
I, I would say it's life changing because I was able to to work with experts in the field of health economics, right? And after one year of working for for that institute, I moved to the World Bank in Washington D.C. and it was also fascinating because I was able to work with different countries. Um, and it's important to basically be exposed to different contexts, um, uh, different health systems, yeah, because that makes you, I would say, more grounded. I would say and less theoretical. Because right. sometimes what you learn in, in grad school, for example, might not be applicable in, in real life settings. So working for the World Bank for, for two years, it made me real two years, it made me realize that, you know, there are nuances of of health systems, there are political economy involved, etc. So and I've learned that from the World Bank. So it was a very good experience. Um um, working for those um, global institutions, I would say. So going back to your question, working for, working, working for institution abroad was, was, was life-changing. Um, yeah. Right, right. You were basically working with the big leagues. I mean, you were working with the World Bank. Um, you could have been a global expert in the health economist, but I'm actually curious what drew you back the Philippines a lot of a lot of reasons uh, uh, personal professional um, <laughs> love but, but, <laughs> but I've always wanted to I've always wanted to go back because number one um, I think the, the country needs a lot of technical professionals like health mm-hmm. economists and I believe that when I go back um, I could um, be part of the action right in the country. So I think that's basically one of the motivation. Um, I really want to be part of the country's health system, right? Um, so I really wanted to, do, to to serve, basically. So that's basically the one of the motivation. And obviously, my partner is also based in Manila, so ah, I needed to, to be here. But it's a mixture of professional and and personal reasons, and no regrets actually. Um, no regrets. Since season one of Public Health on Duty is about COVID, can you tell us the some of the researches that you're doing on COVID? Okay, so well, during the earlier phases of the pandemic, we we did lots of um, modeling exercises on what will happen to uh, the pandemic, etc. How many people will get infected, etc. So we did all the the modeling exercises, but exercises, but towards the the second year of the pandemic, we we started to, in, to to do more research on the indirect effects of the pandemic. So, because no one was interested in that area, so right. so during the pandemic, no one uh, knew what happened to cancer patients, for example, or to patients with tuberculosis, or to patients with pneumonia, etc. Because everyone was really busy. Uh, with COVID, right. so yeah. we wanted to e- examine what happened to non-COVID um, patients, right? So, mm-hmm. so one of our research that was basically, or it was published at the Lancet, for example, wow. or published in the Center for Global <laughs> Development, is we, uh, I mean, look look into the indirect effects of the pandemic. So, um, we 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 saw that there was a huge decline in in, in consultations for cardiovascular diseases, mm. um, tuberculosis, and maternal and child health services. So 
we tried to estimate the decline in those mm-hmm. services. And after that, um, we also tried to calculate the economic costs related to those decline. So those are the two main studies that we've conducted on or studies related to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those studies uh, were used by, for example, the National Economic Development Authority to guide the country on how to approach COVID on a more holistic fashion. Um, not only looking at COVID, but also um, the other indirect effects that might have a bigger impact right, uh, in the health and well-being of, of the population. Yeah. So how do you guys decide on these metrics that you want to measure or monitor to see if the health system is functional or responsive? So in, in our research, we, we tried to examine diseases that contributes to around 80% of the disease burden of mm. the country. So that's, our, that's around 30 diseases. So that includes your infectious diseases like you know, TB, HIV, um, and you also have your non-communicable diseases like hypertension, um, cancer, cardiovascular diseases. So um, the idea there is uh, we want to examine the majority of the diseases that contributes around 80% of the dis- total disease burden. Yeah, All right, The so, biggest chunk uh, of the yeah, pie. The biggest chunk of the, the, the pie. So you, you had another study about the effects of COVID on the Philippine society in general. So uh, can you take us through that maybe? And what are some important things that our listeners should know? Yeah, I think um, our study on the broader impact of the pandemic, I would summarize it or I would, I would summarize the three important findings. So number one is we've seen that the impact, uh, I mean, the first insight that we've seen from that research is that the, the, the poor and vulnerable popula- population, um, like women, um, mm-hmm. um, poor population, are, are bearing the brunt of the pandemic. So based on our estimates, they are more likely to not use healthcare services, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important finding. Um, the second is that we've seen non-recovery of uptake. So... Unlike in many other countries, they've seen decline in healthcare services during the pandemic. But, uh, but after some time, they, they've seen recovery, like people going back to hospitals, etc. But during the first and second year of the pandemic, we did not see that in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I don't know the reasons why, right? And the third is, we, we tried to estimate the, the costs, the economic costs associated uh, with the indirect effects. And our estimates around 3 to 4 trillion um, pesos in net present value. So that's very, very huge, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you think about it. So the economic costs of not going to facilities um, because of various reasons is just enormous, right? And we haven't taken into account, for example, the health impact of not going to schools, right? Oh, so yeah, if you think right. about it, uh, education and health are interrelated right Mm -hmm. so when a child will not go to school there will be huge health impact of that right yeah and remember going to school is not all about learning a lot of schools go because they consider school as refuge right Right. Um, they go there to eat they go there to avoid uh, physical violence etc yeah so those things um i mean going to schools have huge economic impact 
Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our health programs are also school-based. Exactly. Like our nutrition programs. Immunization yeah. are based in schools, right? So uh, we've we've been one of the longest mm-hmm. uh, countries. I mean, one of, one of the countries who've been out of face-to-face classes for so exactly. long. Yeah. So measuring that would have been yeah. such a big yeah. burden we, for us. Yeah. So it's important for us to, to put um, monetary value mm-hmm. for us to understand the magnitude of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we wanted to do in the study is to put, I mean, to estimate the economic cost um, and put a peso or a dollar value mm-hmm. to the negative impact of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I actually like that idea because I think measuring the negative impact of health is very, I mean, on health is quite difficult. Like people don't really realize that not availing primary care has negative impacts of them. But if you put a peso value to it, mm-hmm. it makes it more tangible or more right. understandable yes, yes. for the regular Filipino <laughs> that this is actually the cost of me yes. not being healthy. Exactly. So I, I think going back to public health and economics, I think that's one of the most important lessons in health economics um, is to actually understand the costs and benefit of programs or external shocks like pandemic, right? Because if you do not try to, to examine the cost and benefit, it's, it's really hard for us to make decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the tools in health economics is for us to, to understand the cost and to understand the benefit, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed that, that, that part, right? Uh, and anyone who's interested in health economics, uh, a, a bulk of a bulk of your courses will be trying to understand um, these costs and benefits, right? Like you will learn methodologies on how to properly assess costs or properly assess benefit. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So yeah. in short, what the government should be paying is actually the quote-unquote sulit services, right? Yeah. I mean, I do remember the experience of having to argue for investing in health, especially earlier on in the pandemic, you know, at the Senate floors and like that. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's not always like, yeah, they're they're eager to jump into it because we're in yeah. a pandemic. Sometimes it's not always intuitive that putting in the money here may not have benefits right now, but then we're, we're like preventing so many other diseases, exactly. like a more catastrophic scenario. Um, I am curious though. I mean, you've done like a lot of research already, but as a health researcher, what would you say are the biggest hurdles for doing research? Um, so I think the biggest hurdle would be sustainable financing. Mm. Um, because uh, although we have a lot of um, we have a lot of resources now compared before, mm-hmm. if you want to do more sophisticated studies related to health financing, for example, mm-hmm. like impact evaluation of programs, etc., we need more resources to do that. Right. I so see. I think, as I've said, um, financing um, is less of an issue now, but the government needs to invest more um, for us to do more you know, mm-hmm. advance um, health economics research in the country. I think second is hu- human resources, right? We need more. We need more people in, in, in the field. Right. Um, it's really hard to, you know, hire people with, with 
good training in health economics or in statistics, right? So we still do not have a lot of people or students with enough skill set to perform um, health economics research. So we need more people to be Mm-hmm. To, to be in the sector, I mean, to be in the, in the field of health economics. Yeah, for sure. A shameless plug to all economics graduates out there who <laughs> still don't know what to do with their lives. Maybe you want to venture into public health. Yes, and give us your money. Devalue your money. <laughs> so I, I would say, I, I mean, um, health econ- economics is actually, I, would, I, I don't want to use this term, but you know, I think it's the best way to describe it. It's, it's actually a very lucrative um, field, if oh, you think really? about it, yes, because I think that the supply of health economists is is not a lot. So, uh-uh. and we need to do a lot of health economics work, like cost benefit analysis, a lot of data yeah. analytics, etc. Mm-hmm. So, there is like a huge demand for health economists. Um, so, if your problem is money, I don't think that will be <laughs> challenging in 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 the field of health economics. Yeah, and you mentioned that there's still a lot of research that needs to be done in terms of creating that post-pandemic scenario. I mean, we're headed towards there, but we don't really know like what it's going to look like and we need to be prepared. So we need more people really to be able to do that type of legwork. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we need to do more research on field health, for example. Um, yeah. So um, currently we try to examine so our research. Uh, Portfolio now looks into um, the optimal payment of PhilHealth, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, we are now moving into investigating um, the quality of our hospitals, mm. um, the financial health of our hospitals. So, and, and the problem is when you try to invite researchers or economists to, to help us on these research agenda, it's really mm-hmm. hard to get someone with enough experience to help us with these mm-hmm. um, projects. Right. So, you know, PhilHealth is just one, right? But there are also, health economists is also needed for, for public health programs, mm-hmm. right? School health, etc. So health economists are also valuable in that field, like public health, um, school health programs are, are, are also an area in which health economists are needed. Um, and many, many other f- areas in the health sector, like Health economists is, is always health economists always needed, mm-hmm. and yeah. we also need a lot of economists, um, maybe a macroeconomist to work in health. Right, mm-hmm. that's also a field that no one is working on right now. Right, huh? yeah. so for example, what would be the impact of trade, right? for example, on on health, right, or what would be the impact of inflation on health? So what I was talking about was a very micro level discussions about health economics but there are macro issues like inflation um, trade etc that have huge repercussions on health um, and well-being of the population and you also need to study these things right and unfortunately in the philippines we haven't really studied these important facets of economics well since we're on the topic of getting more economists and even getting more professionals to work in public health, 
What advice would you give to a fledgling and curious minds interested in doing public health research? Most especially for those who may not necessarily have a public health background. Okay. Um, I think my, my first advice is to seek a mentor, right? So if you, if you try to ask a lot of successful people in public health, they have mentors, right? And I think for, for aspiring health economists or public health professionals, I think it's important for you seek the guidance of, of, of your mentor. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. Don't afraid to, to write an email to, to an health economist and ask for a job. I think that's very important. So, um, so I, I remember when I was in, in the University of Toronto or when in, in my previous job, I was just like yeah. randomly emailing people right. and ask them if I could be part of their research work. And that's how I started, you know, meeting them. I think that it's important for you to find a mentor and finding a men in, in, in finding a mentor, it's it's okay to to write a random email to someone and right. you know tell them that you're actually interested, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the start of everything, right? So I think that's the first step. Finding a mentor and don't be afraid to to to, to seek the help of that potential mentor. Right. Uh, but what would you say would be a good place to start if you want to kind of dabble in health research? I think the first step is for you, as I've said, I think for you to seek out. Um, if your interest is health economics or health financing, mm-hmm. find someone who does health financing and, you know, reach out. So it's, in my experience, it's important for you to be part of a project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important for you to go through all the phases of research. Right. And that is, you know, developing the proposal, uh, collecting data, analyzing data, etc. So I think for, you know, a newbies in health research or in health economics research, we, you need to start or you need to experience the whole process and for me, I, I I did all the I experienced all the process in 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 health research, right? From mm-hmm. writing proposals, um, defending your proposal, collecting data in rural areas, analyzing the data, then writing the results, then presenting it to to stakeholders, right? So it's important for you to experience the whole process and. To experience the whole process, you need to be part of a team, right? Yeah. And you need to seek out, um, depending on your interest, right? Um, and for those um, newbies who do not know what field of health economics, it's important for you to, to try, right? Like mm-hmm. everything, like, okay, I'm going to try health financing and I'm going to try um, this field, etc. And right. eventually you will find your, your, your comfort zone. Oh, okay. I'm going to do this because it, this is interesting. Um, I assure you, you will find that interest, right? Um, so don't be afraid to try, right? Yeah, and I think there are a lot of short studies that have research assistant openings. I think that would be yeah. a really, really good place yeah. to just kind of so, think. Yeah, I remember when I was, in, uh, we hired this person and she doesn't want to go through the process of research. She just want to do like data analysis. Mm. Oh, I just want to like do regression, whatever, like those fancy modeling but she doesn't want to do, you know, data cleaning <laughs> or she doesn't want to go to the field and collect data, right? I don't think that's the, 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 the right step. 
um, we need to go through all the process. As for me, I still, mm-hmm. you know, encode data because I, I, I want to understand this data structure, etc. So yeah. I still do the dirty work. And it's important for us to go through that whole process. And, you know, I don't know if I'm from a different generation. And a lot of kids now, I mean, young researchers do not want to go through that whole process. They just want to, okay, I just want to do this fancy analysis and just want to write it. But I I don't think that's the the direction. Um, We need to do the the dirty work. We need to go through the whole process, right? Yeah, of course. Because essentially, I mean, with research, it's really a story that you're trying to exactly. tell. So if you don't know the starting point, how are you going to get mm. to the end and make that conclusion? Yeah. And like imagine the insights that you will be getting just by cleaning the data. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be a lot, really. And I think this is also important for me to say that research is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to accept that there are people who are made as good managers. Um, there are, you know, public health professionals who are good in research, mm-hmm. um, public health professionals who are good in implementation. Right. And when I talk a lot, when I when when I when I have conversations with with young research with with with, with younger health professional, what they do is like, oh I just want to do I just want to do PhD or I just want to do research because it's fun, right? You know, I don't think that's the that's the direction that you want to take, right? So make sure that you want research because it's a different field compared <laughs> to data to, to implementation or right, data yeah. or or management, etc. So you know, make sure that you really like it, okay? <laughs> because it's not made for everyone, right? <laughs> that's true. Before we wrap up, baka may last words of wisdom ka na gusto mong e-drop casually for our kids right there. Um, public health is actually a mission, right? Mm-hmm. So you enter public health because you believe that there is actually a bigger mission, which is actually to improve um, health the outcomes. health outcomes, the, the health system of, of the country, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for you to have that passion to change the system, right? And yeah. because research is sometimes frustrating because, mm-hmm. you know, you write all these papers and no one will read or no Martha one will reads. care. No, no, or no, I one read. will care, no, or no one will care about, right? Yeah. Um, but, and, and, and to some, that could be frustrating, right? But, you need to continue honing your craft because someday it will be useful. Maybe it's not that, that, that this time yet, but eventually your work will be recognized and it actually might change the health system or how we see the health system. And the only way you can sustain that passion to continue is your desire to keep going, right? Right. Yeah, yes, right. Yes. I think the insight that I'm getting is you have to be confidently beautiful with the heart. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I remember one. So our president right now, you know, I always tell tell him, that, okay, it's really hard to engage the government because for many reasons, political reasons. So sometimes it's it's really hard for them to adapt the recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. 
you always say like keep going like you need to keep hammering the same message right or right. you need to do more research to actually yeah you need you need to keep continue working on it so that eventually they will realize that it's actually uh makes sense for them to adopt the the recommendation or adopt the the changes that you want to achieve based on your research or findings right wow <laughs> thank you so much we had such a great time val thank you so much um thank you martha and angeli so yeah. thank you um and i think my biggest learning for this episode is good health is good economy Yes, a Miss Universe answer. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we wouldn't be leaving you without our usual book recommendations from Dr. Wong. So today we're serving you Paradise Falls, the true story of an environmental catastrophe by Keith O'Brien. This is the unveiling of the story of the dark secrets behind Love Canal USA and the mothers who stood up to fight it. In a small neighborhood near Niagara Falls, Love Canal was supposed to be a safe haven, housing a school and a playground for children. However, just a few decades prior, it was a chemical dump site for Hooker Chemical, which chucked thousands of tons of toxic waste, leading to an anger-inducing health and environmental disaster. I think the most disturbing part of this event is it is no way unique to Love Canal. We still see big corp malpractices that go unchecked, leading to health and environmental problems today. O'Brien's research and compelling journalism is a great place to start if you feel passionate about these issues. Also from the JQW Book Club is The Ghost Map, the story of London's most terrifying epidemic and how it changed science, cities, and the modern world by Stephen Johnson. It talks about how real-life Jon Snow, a legendary figure in public health and epidemiology, investigated London's cholera epidemic in the mid-19th century. It focused on environment as a social determinant of health and emphasized the importance of clean water and environments as well as effective sewage and sanitation systems to maintain community health, especially in large cities with big populations. Yes, so before Jon Snow, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, King of the North, and all-in-all brooding hunk, there was Jon Snow, doctor, father of epidemiology, and also occasional brooder. Check those two books out if you have the time or if you simply live off the thrill of accumulating more books for your unread piles. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Health on Duty. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Public Health on Duty is a joint production between Epimetrics Inc. and Big Baby Studios. Dr. John Q. Wong is our executive producer. Editing and hosting by Anjali Magdaraog and Martha De La Paz. Our producers are Abigail Tan and Antoinette Mendoza. Sound engineering and original theme music by PV Nicholas. You can find out more about Epimetrics at www.epimetrics.com.ph or at EpimetricsPH on Facebook and Instagram. This has been Martha. You can find me on Instagram at underscore call me Martha. And I'm Anjali. I am not on social media, but you can catch Martha and me on the next episode of Public Health on Duty. 